Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, Just call me Swanee. Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle once again. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond listening to us on incredible radio stations like Fox Sports Radio 14 under the Midlands. Heard around the world on the iHeart Radio application. Download it today. It is free. The website, put the dot com on it, doggone it. That's Clemson Sports Talk dot com. 803-450-0086. Text line, phone line. And again, we appreciate each and every one of you being a part of the program, the Clemson Tigers, with a huge matchup coming up this weekend against NC State that'll be on the CW tomorrow night 7:45 the tip off from Little John Coliseum so it'll be a little late night affair important for Clemson because they could push the two games above 500 and again we're talking about a circumstance where this team who man if if you equate it to a race right they sprint out of the gates undoubtedly one of the best teams out of the gates in America. They get into the calendar 2024 calendar year and they just can't you know can't piece together the magic that started the season and and part of that probably because of the competition, a couple of close heartbreaking losses against Duke and Virginia, uh unexplainable loss to Georgia Tech. And here you sit, kind of questioning, are they even going to make it into the NCAA tournament? Well, they go up to North Carolina in a game I guaranteed they would not win. I had, I, you know, if there was faith in games along the rest of the way, yes, I had it. There was zero faith on my part. Zero faith on my part that Clemson would win at North Carolina. And then they did. And then they've just, kept winning, stringing together three straight, and now looking for number four tomorrow and looking to continue to climb up into the top of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Now, I don't think they're going to approach by the end of the regular season, North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia, but I think they can finish fourth or fifth. 
you obviously want to finish fourth in this ACC. And talking with Tim Beret yesterday, you know, I, I think Tim agrees that this is a team that is good enough. And you haven't had many in your life, folks. They're good enough to win the Atlantic Coast Conference. They are. The tournament, they are good enough to win it. They're good enough when they're playing well, I think, to maybe make a run to, say, an Elite Eight. I To, to, to qualify a team as a, a, a run to the Final Four, uh, you'd have to have a lot of magic happen. But I think they could get to an Elite Eight if they just play the way they've played the past three ballgames. And what's so sad about it, honestly, from my standpoint, having to sit in here and talk to you about it, is the fact, and and I it scares the the mess out of me too. That team that you saw that you kind of questioned whether or not they would be able to you know win four or five games remaining, let alone four or five games in a row, is sort of still in there somewhere. And I think you're just hoping that they do not pop up again, that they don't show up again, because that team, truthfully, that team was a major letdown for a program that should not have that kind of letdown with the roster that Clemson has. There are years where, look, I don't accept losing, but there are years where I just know, man, we're not as talented as the teams we're playing. That's been the majority of the, the, the years I've covered Clemson basketball. They're just not as talented as the teams they're playing. Outside of Duke and North Carolina, I think Clemson from top to bottom is the better team, the more talented team than everybody in the league except for Duke and North Carolina. And I think when you get into the minutia of comparing Clemson to Duke, you start talking about the the advantage that Clemson has in, in terms of the maturity of the roster. And that might be enough to kind of push Clemson over the edge against the Blue Devils. And then you kind of go head up with North Carolina in terms of the, the age and experience card. But that would be the one team where age, experience, talent, expected talent, all of that probably still favors the Tar Heels. But everywhere else in this conference, Clemson should be able to win. And on a neutral site, and I don't care. It, you know, Honestly, if, if it was being played in the Dean Dome or Cameron Indoor, and it's a neutral crowd, right? Like, it doesn't matter the venue so much to me as much as the neutral crowd. And in some respects, when you're facing off against the North Carolina or Duke, if Clemson gets that fortune in, in the ACC tournament, uh, no matter who you are, you become the team everybody's rooting for because the whole league loves watching Duke and North Carolina get beat in basketball. But yeah, that's you know I I think you're you know you live in the moment of where you are right now. But by comparison to what we've had in the past, this is a legitimate team that when they play well has a chance to be a special basketball team. By the way, we didn't get into this at all yesterday. I've talked a good bit about 
the South Carolina Gamecocks uh, and the job their basketball team has done this year because we got a lot of Gamecock fans who do tune in and want to be a part of the program. So you could continue to peek over the fence at the best radio show in the nation. But I'll tell you what, man. South Carolina was ranked 11. Auburn was ranked 13. And Auburn just went off 101 to 61. 101 to 61. And so to gain a little perspective on it, and it's hard to translate men's sports to women's sports, right? But South Carolina's women, who are as dominant as any women's team in in my memory, I mean, you know, they are this ver- they are the 2020s version of UConn. They are the 2020s version of Tennessee. They are the they are the mark. They set the standard in women's basketball right now. They only beat Auburn 76-54. So, just a 22-point win for one of the most dominant women's teams in the country when they faced Auburn. The men, Auburn's men, beat South Carolina by 40. The Gamecocks scored just 61 points in the contest. Auburn had 50 at the break. And it wasn't like they let up because they scored 51 in the second half. They were on fire. Now for South Carolina, obviously, it's one loss. You're 21 and four. You you can't what you what you cannot allow to happen, in my opinion. If you're the South Carolina Gamecocks, is you can't allow that matchup to beat you twice. And the Gamecocks will host LSU this weekend at 3:30. You can't let that game beat you twice. And that's always the fear that coaches have, especially when you lose in one of two ways. When you have like a debilitating late late shot that just breaks your heart, coaches are going to worry how you bounce back. That was the storyline for Clemson when they lost to Duke and the storyline for Clemson when they lost to Virginia. How do they bounce back? Don't let that one loss beat you twice. Well, here is a scenario where you got walloped, just walloped. And you you can't you can't live in that rear view because it'll get you again. You just gotta say, you know what? Sometimes you get your butt cut. Sometimes you cut butt. Sometimes you get butt cut. And South Carolina got butt cut. And and they've gotten you know in their four losses. This is probably something to note about this team. In their four losses. This season, or when they've lost, South Carolina has been beaten up on pretty well. 
I mean, Clemson won by five. That's a, a decently tight game. But Alabama beat them 74-47. Georgia beat them by five. Again, not a huge, huge margin. And then this one by 40. Auburn and Alabama just flat out told South, told South Carolina, hey, man, we're going to we're gonna make this look like a, like a football game. We're going to put a little something-something on you. South Carolina's remaining games, again, they host LSU this weekend. They get a week off before going to Ole Miss on, excuse me, yes, on the 24th, next Saturday. The following Wednesday, the Gamecocks will travel to Texas A&M. A&M's been a hot team, that's for sure. Then on March 2nd, the Gamecocks will host Florida. On March 6th, they will host number eight, Tennessee, led by Rick Barnes. And then their final game in the SEC will come on March the 9th as they play on the road at Mississippi State. So that's what the Gamecocks are looking at uh, in terms of their upcoming schedule. But I, again, I did not mention at all just getting blistered. Absolutely hammered on the plains by Auburn. A 40-point loss. As a matter of fact, I, I got a buddy, and normally he's pretty in tune and locked into what South Carolina basketball is doing. He likes to keep up with it. I can tell you this. That night, uh, he was done. He was not he was not interested in uh, prolonging the uh, exposure to said blowout, right? It was like, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. 803-450-0086, text line phone line. You can be a part of the program anytime, any place, and of course, anywhere. I was looking at some of the news on the situation with the Kansas City Chiefs Parade. According to reports, this news came out, obviously, while we were on the air, I think Wednesday after the Chiefs celebration. Tragic news as uh, there was a mass shooting at the Super Bowl rally. Two juveniles have been charged with crimes connected to that mass shooting, authorities said earlier today. A news release from the Jackson County Family Court said the juveniles were charged Thursday and were being detained in the county's juvenile detention center on gun-related and resisting arrest charges. It also said that they anticipated the additional that the additional charges are expected in the future. The additional charges are expected in the future as the investigation continues. So that situation, we're learning more and more about it. Taylor Swift has made a commitment to donate $100,000 to the shooting victim's family. To Lisa Lopez Galvin, the woman who was killed in the shooting. Two $50,000 donations were posted under the singer's name on the GoFundMe page. Swift's representatives confirmed the donations 
Sending my deepest sympathies and condolences in the wake of your devastating loss. With love, Taylor Swift, the messages said on the post. Galvin, 43 years old. Lopez Galvin was 43 years old when she was shot Wednesday and killed. She was celebrating the Super Bowl win with her husband, her young adult son, and hundreds of thousands of other Kansas City fans. So that situation still, you know, the news still trickling out from from that and and how it all went down. I think, you know, at this point, the lone positive is that there are no more deaths at this point. I don't know the gravity of the situation for every individual that was hit. But in my experience with these things, it's rare that you have, you know, like a slew of additional deaths along the way. Occasionally somebody else does not make it. Somebody's hanging on potentially right now. And that would only further, you know, that would only further the 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 pain that so many people are feeling from this tragedy. But we can all hope and pray that maybe it will be fortunate that this will not get any worse. But kudos to Taylor Swift for that gesture to help out the family uh, making a hundred thousand dollar donation. Uh, to the Lopez-Galvin family after, sadly, Lisa Lopez-Galvin lost her life during that event uh, celebrating the, the world champions. And and I want to go back to something I said on this Wednesday, I think. It would be really sad if things like this don't you know get to occur anymore because of foolish... Uh, events that have taken place around moments like this because the sport and I don't mean football in general like the NFL basketball is kind of the same it's there's so much money involved in the salaries of the players that the sport has become a very exclusive sport you know the odds that you're ever going to sit 50-yard line, lower lower bowl at one of these venues without, you know, shelling out a ton of money is, is slim to none. And these events, maybe more than any other moment outside of, say, training camp, allow the fans of a team, and I would say this is better because this is fresh off of your Super Bowl win, it allows fans of a team to come out and celebrate together that human camaraderie that exists, come out and see the the heroes, heroes who have delivered moments that you a lot a lot of times you you never forget. And I don't want, right? I don't want to be in a situation where as as people, we can't do events like this. And you might say, well, Swanee, that's just you you're you know, you, you gotta go out there, you gotta put it all you know, you gotta risk it sometimes. 
I'm what I'm alluding to here is not about you or me or my confidence or your confidence or how safe you feel going into anything like this. I'm talking about the team saying, no, we're not doing this. This is not going to be something we're going to do because of these risks. That's the that's one of the thing that you know I really I really wonder if it's going to something like this is going to end up going away. You know who's going to it's going to hurt the most? Those people that love the team and can't afford the tickets. Tragically, rocking and rolling along with you on a Friday afternoon for all you hour one listeners as you make your way home. You missed it yesterday. Tim Beret joined the program. He comes on the show every Thursday at five o'clock. Here's a snippet from that interview with perhaps the greatest mind in a historical sense of Clemson sports ever. Down at Miami, Tim, Clemson gave up 60 points in the second half against the Hurricanes. Last night, they gave up 60 in the entire game, but maybe most notably, the way they finished down the stretch, unbelievable final 11 minutes or so in that game. You know, uh, we've seen it with a lot of uh, ACC teams this year that (laughs) – that they'll they'll do things that uh, cost them games, and then they'll do things that will win games. And we had, you know, three games in a five-game period against the Georgia Tech, Duke, and Virginia. Lost all close games, in which, you know, we just didn't close. We just didn't play well down the stretch. Obviously, the Georgia Tech game, when we blow a nine-point lead with uh, under a minute left. Poof. Um, but now recently, the last three games, we've played great. I think we've outscored the opposition. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. 36 to 15 inside the last four minutes of the last three games. And of course, last night went on a 23 to 4 run. To uh, to close the game, so uh, you know it it just kind of comes and goes. We had that stretch where we didn't close very well, and now recently we've we've done very well in the final minutes. The thing that stood out to me was, and and I think Brad Brownell may have even mentioned it right out of the gates during his press conference, uh, the shooting of the basketball from the perimeter of Chase Hunter, and it, it really got me thinking. Like I've looked at this team and and thought to myself, okay, when they're playing at their best, when they're playing about as good as they can play, I think they're capable of beating anybody in this league on the neutral floor. I think they've proven that by what they did against North Carolina uh, on the road, let alone if they were doing it you know, at the ACC tournament. But when Chase Hunter specifically can play well from the perimeter, 
it really does kind of create a, a different nuance for this team because he, he, he kind of plays downhill more often than not. And I think some of that may be confidence. But Brad Bunnell talked about how much he's worked. And, man, when if he – I'm not saying he's going to go 5 of 8 every night, Tim, but if he can hit three <laughs> three-pointers a game or something in that range, I think this Clemson team becomes really tough to beat. Yeah, I think that was uh, certainly one of the keys uh, to last night's game, him making five threes, which was the most he's ever made in an ACC game, tied for the most he's made in any game. He had five against Bellarmine uh, last year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's something we've been wanting to see. You know, he's capable of doing it. Uh, quite frankly, he was just seven for 40 in ACC games on threes going into last night. So, I'm sure that performance was not at the top of the scouting report for co- from Coach uh, Larinaga, but uh, yeah, he was definitely a difference maker last night, scoring 20 points. A lot of them, uh, you know, he made a three uh, at the end of the at the end of the game, of course, but uh, made another two pointer. And uh, well, you know, when he's hitting those shots, he creates opportunities for himself because guys kind of have to back off of him because of his ability to drive. I mean, right. that's his game driving to the basket and so um you know he should be they have to be wary of that so he should be able to get some shots going from the outside and he certainly did last night it was fun to see again he is on twitter at tim beret one of the other aspects of this team that we, we don't really know what what it's going to look like and maybe you have an update um alex Hemingway, what's the what's the status there i haven't heard anything I know he's been close, I guess, a couple of times to, to getting you know out there to play, because I would be intrigued to see what this lineup would look like, you know, if Hemingway's in the ball game as well, and maybe that opens up the floor a little bit more, you know, for a guy like PJ Hall or even Ian Shifflin to kind of work in the low post. Um, do you have an update at all? Um, <laughs> not not official, but if I was a betting man, I would. I would think he's going to sit out the season in red shirt and, and come back for another. Okay, year. I suggested that that's on my the show uh, last he, week, I believe. If, yeah, if he if he you know if he redshirts, he can come back for another year. Okay, if he plays another game this year, I don't think he can redshirt. So, okay. well, I think the feeling is let's try to you know have him for a whole year and and have him you know be healthy because you know he's gone back and forth as far as. You know, hurting the, the leg, uh, and and so I think that's just kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I, I did a couple of days ago. I said, you know, at this point, that's that's probably what I would do, given you know that he was in. I guess he would have the advantage of the COVID year. I can't remember if he redshirted at all yet or not, but either way, I was like, that would be what I would do at this point, and especially too. I think you know, seeing what this team looks like now with Jack Clark getting more opportunities and getting back healthy because he's really added a dimension to this team where you know his style of play is is I would say it it's it allows Brad Brownell to maneuver his lineup a little bit especially on the defensive end of the floor if they need to and still have a guy out there who can score with kind of the mid-range game yeah absolutely yeah you know <laughs> I mean, that was one of the big differences between the first game against Miami and this game. We didn't have Jack Clark for the first game, and we certainly missed his defense and, and rebounding. And um, he's just a, uh, 
Wise uh, veteran in his fifth year of college basketball. He played 27 minutes last night. He shot three for five. He had six points. He had six rebounds. He had three assists. He didn't have a turnover. He had two steals and two blocks. Uh, played good defense. Uh, and, you know, he's the last three games. He's, he's had, what, 23 rebounds the last three games combined. Yeah. So there you go, just a little snippet from Tim Beret, the interview that we did with him yesterday. You can catch it full length in excuse me, in the podcast edition of the, the show. And if you're a, a podcast listener and you go, Swanee, where are the podcast being? Dude, we are bringing on another intern. Been working to get them all squared away with the website and everything. And I've, I've cut the podcast up every night. I just hadn't posted, but they are all up. You can go catch them all, enjoy them. And again, we do appreciate everybody being a part of the program uh, as we make our way through each and every week uh, to get you set for uh, another weekend of Clemson Tiger basketball, NC State tomorrow, Clemson Tiger baseball against Xavier today, tomorrow, uh, and Sunday. So a full slate of Tiger baseball as well, plus hour number two, Luke Winstall joins the program. You do not want to miss that. Stick around for more of the show that shakes the Southland. The show that shakes the Southland, Clemson, Sports Talk, Lawton, Swan. NBA All-Star Weekend, not that that's a big thing for you, but for me, it was always a big thing growing up because it always happened around my birthday. And, you know, anytime, look, when you're turning 47, you're not exactly celebrating the same way you were when you were turning, say, 12, right? Uh, you feel a little bit differently, but it was always around my birthday. And this year, we'll get something very unique. We've never seen this before. It'll be Steph Curry versus Sabrina Onescu in the three-point contest. And if you're saying, did you say Steph Curry versus somebody named Sabrina? Yes. It's going to be a male versus female matchup. Sabrina Onescu actually has the all-time mark in terms of the three-point contest, uh, both men's and women's during the All-Star weekend. But I was looking into... Uh, the rules of the three-point contest because there were some there were some conversations with NBA players about you know who are they going to pick. I think I saw Kyrie Irving said he was going to uh, take Sabrina over Steph, and a lot of the guys are saying no, 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 you got to take Steph because he's the greatest shooter of all time. You know, from top to bottom, he's the greatest shooter of all time. So I wanted to see like. What are the rules in the you know shootout because the the men's game or the three point shootout because the men's game shoots from a different perimeter distance than the women's. So here's what the rules will be for that format because right like if it was all from the three point line of the men, then I would favor Steph Curry. So here's what we've got for that matchup. It's coming up. It's going to be approximately around 9.15 to 9.30 tomorrow, kind of depending. Uh, it's going to be taking place at Lucas Oil Stadium. It's going to be a head-to-head -head matchup between uh, the greatest women's three-point shooter in terms of efficiency in the competition versus Steph Curry. So that's what we've got. Uh, she plays for the New York Liberty, by the way. Uh, Curry and Inescu are, again, arguably the best shooters in their leagues. 
And they're going to have this matchup, which you can watch. I didn't even tell you. It's going to be on TNT. Curry, leading up to the matchup, said he was excited to compete against one of the best shooters in basketball. He went on to say, however this plays out, it's what sports is about, right? Competing, whatever format it is. She's the champ, so I'm the contender. Let's lay it out on the line. She is the defending women's NBA three-point champion. She called this a, quote, pinch me moment. And I love this because, quite frankly, you know, it's a great opportunity for young women to see uh, a female going heads up against the greatest shooter of our generation, maybe of all time for sure, in terms of what he does. And I saw a video about like how many shots Steph Curry's taken in his career. You know, to to prepare, how many he puts up a day. Like it's like two million or something in his career that he's taken. And it, it's correlated to X amount of shots that he's made in his career. And it's a smidgen, right? It's a fraction, a tiny fraction of the number of shots he's actually made. But during last summer's WNBA All-Star Weekend, Onescu set a record for both leagues, scoring 37 total points. After the competition, she jumped on Twitter and challenged Curry to a shootout and tagged him in it. So after that, Curry went on ESPN and accepted the challenge, saying he wanted to break her record. He said, I got to go after Sabrina's record. I got something to shoot for now that she went crazy with 37 points in the All-Star weekend. I guess we got to settle that one for sure. So fast forward, the NBA announced that these two would be facing off, and it's coming up tomorrow night. So how will it be set up? That's where I was taking you. When it was first announced, Curry was set to shoot from the NBA three-point line, which is 23 feet, 9 inches. And Onescu would shoot from the WNBA line, which is 22 feet, 1.75 inches. However, Onescu has since stated that she will be shooting from the NBA three-point line to level the playing field with Steph Curry. So she practices from that range anyway and said it would be, quote, a no-brainer to opt for the NBA line once she found out the decision was up to her. And quite frankly, I don't blame her. Like, if you win it and you're shooting from 22 feet, 1.75 inches, and Steph is shooting from 23 feet, 9 inches, then people are going to say, well, yeah, you were shooting a much shorter shot. You were 20 inches closer, basically. So... With this, the only advantage that I would be aware of is the size of the basketball. What this says, however, is that they will, they will be standard NBA three-point competition rules with a slight twist. There will be five racks of five balls placed at different points around the three-point line. Four of the racks will have four standard balls, which are worth one point one money ball. One of the racks will be filled entirely with money balls. The shooters get to choose where that rack is placed along the three-point line. And in addition to the money balls, there will be another special ball that could make a big difference in the competition. There will be two starry range balls, 
which will be from long range, and those shots will be worth three points each. When the shooter begins, he or she will have 70 seconds to take all the shots, and the player with the most points at the end of the round will be declared the winner. So it doesn't say whether she's shooting with a women's basketball or a men's. The women's ball slightly smaller would give her a slight advantage, but she is going to drop back and shoot from the men's basket. I did not see in the rules whether or not she'll be using a men's ball or a women's, but nonetheless, I think this makes for a compelling storyline to follow tomorrow night on TNT around 9.15. I'll be sure to lock in, or at least I'll record it, that's for sure. All right, quick break. We'll come back. We'll put a bow on hour number one right here on a Friday afternoon. Stay with us. Final segment of hour one coming up in hour number two. We will talk with Luke Winston, a little recruiting conversation, a little Clemson Tiger baseball going on today as well. We'll get you updated for that. We had our season preview over on the uh, website. Go check that out. Tiger Chuck put it together, and uh, we'll see how things go. For Clemson, they got off to a bit of a shaky start in the first, allowing uh, Xavier to load the bases. Uh, Xavier got two runs across, but then Clemson had a big answer uh, in the bottom half of the first with Alden Mathis with a uh, grand slam. Then the Tigers pushed across three more runs uh, to take a 7-2 to lead in the bottom of the first inning. So Clemson with a big answer uh, early. We'll update you on the game uh, in just a little bit. Uh, as well, but due to time constraints, we'll jump back out to some of the interview we did with Tim Beret yesterday. Down at Miami, Tim, Clemson gave up 60 points in the second half against the Hurricanes. Last night, they gave up 60 in the entire game, but maybe most notably, the way they finished down the stretch. Unbelievable final 11 minutes or so in that game. You know, uh, we've seen it with a lot of uh, ACC teams this year that <laughs> – that they'll they'll do things that uh, cost them games, and then they'll do things that will win games. And we had, you know, three games in a five-game period against uh, Georgia Tech, Duke, and Virginia, lost all close games in which, you know, we just didn't close. We just didn't play well down the stretch. Obviously, the Georgia Tech game, when we blow a nine-point lead with uh, under a minute left. Poof. Um, but now recently, the last three games, we've played great. I think we've outscored the opposition 36 to 15 inside the last four minutes of the last three games. And of course, last night went on a 23 to four run to, uh, to close the game. So, uh, you know, it, it just kind of comes and goes. We had that stretch. We didn't close very well. And now recently we've, we've done very well in the final minutes. The thing that stood out to me was, and, and I think Brad Brownell may have even mentioned it right out of the gates during his press conference, uh, the shooting of the basketball from the perimeter of Chase Hunter. And it, it really got me thinking, like, I've looked at this team and and thought to myself, okay, when they're playing at their best, when they're playing uh, about as good as they can play, I think they're capable of beating anybody in this league on the neutral floor. I think they've proven that by what they did against North Carolina uh, on the road, let alone if they were doing it, you know, at the ACC tournament. But when Chase Hunter specifically can play well from the perimeter, it really does kind of create a, a different nuance for this team because he, he, he kind of plays downhill more often than not 
And I think some of that may be confidence. But Brad Burnell talked about how much he's worked. And, man, when if he – I'm not saying he's going to go five of eight every night, Tim, but if he can hit three <laughs> three-pointers a game or something in that range, I think this Clemson team becomes really tough to beat. Yeah, I think that was uh, certainly one of the keys uh, to last night's game, him making five threes, which was the most he's ever made in an ACC game, tied for the most he's made in any game. He had five against Bellarmine uh, last year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's something we've been wanting to see. You know, he's capable of doing it. Uh, quite frankly, he was just seven for 40 in ACC games on threes going into last night. So, I'm sure that performance was not at the top of the scouting report for co- from Coach uh, Larinaga, but uh, yeah, he was definitely a difference maker last night, scoring 20 points. A lot of them, uh, you know, he made a three uh, at the end of the at the end of the game, of course, but uh, made another two pointer. And uh, well, you know, when he's hitting those shots, he creates opportunities for himself because guys kind of have to back off of him because of his ability to drive. I mean, right. that's his game driving to the basket and so um you know he should be they have to be wary of that so he should be able to get some shots going from the outside and he certainly did last night it was fun to see again he is on twitter at tim beret one of the other aspects of this team that we, we don't really know what what it's going to look like and maybe you have an update um alex Hemingway, what's the what's the status there i haven't heard anything I know he's been close, I guess, a couple of times to, to getting you know out there to play, because I would be intrigued to see what this lineup would look like, you know, if Hemingway's in the ball game as well, and maybe that opens up the floor a little bit more, you know, for a guy like PJ Hall or even Ian Shifflin to kind of work in the low post. Um, do you have an update at all? Um, <laughs> not not official, but if I was a betting man, I would. I would think he's going to sit out the season in red shirt and, and come back for another. Okay, year. I suggested that on my the show uh, last he, week, I believe. If, yeah, if he if he you know if he redshirts, he can come back for another year. Okay, if he plays another game this year, I don't think he can redshirt. So, okay. well, I think the feeling is let's try to you know have him for a whole year and and have him you know be healthy because you know he's gone back and forth as far as. You know, hurting the, the leg, uh, and and so I think that's just kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I, I did a couple of days ago. I said, you know, at this point, that's that's probably what I would do, given you know that he was in. I guess he would have the advantage of the COVID year. I can't remember if he redshirted at all yet or not, but either way, I was like, that would be what I would do at this point, and especially too. I think you know, seeing what this team looks like now with Jack Clark getting more opportunities and getting back healthy because he's really added a dimension to this team where you know his style of play is is I would say it it's it allows Brad Brownell to maneuver his lineup a little bit especially on the defensive end of the floor if they need to and still have a guy out there who can score with kind of the mid-range game yeah absolutely yeah you know yeah <laughs> I mean, that was one of the big differences between the first game against Miami and this game. We didn't have Jack Clark for the first game, and we certainly missed his defense and, and rebounding. And um, he's just a um, wise uh, veteran in his fifth year of college basketball. He played 27 minutes last night. He shot three for five. He had six points. He had six rebounds. He had three assists. He didn't have a turnover. He had two steals and two blocks. 
played good defense. Uh, and, you know, he's the last three games, he's, he's had, what, 23 rebounds the last three games combined. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Quick break. Luke Winstall joins us next. Stick around. It's time for Clips and Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, Just call me Swanee. Is our number two. That's drive time right here on the show. The Shakes of Southland Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan hanging out with you on a Friday afternoon. Luke Winstall joins us. Luke, welcome in, man. How are you? Doing great, Lawton. I appreciate you having me on the show. All is well. Just getting ready for all kinds of recruiting stuff to ramp up here. And of course, you know, big spring ahead of us. So doing great. How are you? Man, I'm good. I, I want to start, though, with the uh, matchup that we saw this past weekend, the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs going back-to-back. We've never had a team win three consecutive Super Bowls. They'll get a chance next year. I'm sure they'll be an early favorite once things kind of move forward, depending on what happens with Travis Kelsey. But uh, what were kind of some of your takeaways from a matchup, just the second Super Bowl ever, uh, to go to overtime? Yeah, pretty wild one, of course. I like the drama at the end. I think when you look at this kind of a game, it's one where, to me, some of the storylines felt a little tired coming in. So mm. I was like, okay, you know, please just give us a good game at minimum. And they really did. And there's some things I thought Greenlaw's injury really changed things on the San Francisco side. And felt like that was a big, uh, big hit for them at the end of the game. But then you look at, some of the things where around the game, the spectacle of the Super Bowl, I thought the entertainment was great. The halftime show, I will stand on this lot, and I think it's one of the best we've ever seen. I've been going back and watching them. I've got it. I think it's it's fringe top five right now, maybe right around that five spot all time. I get a lot of pushback on that, but I'll stand okay. on that. And as we talked last week, you know, I told you the pimento cheese was a big focus for me personally coming in, and it was quite a big hit. All right, so I I want to go back to your take on on the halftime show. I'm not anti, I'm not anti Usher. Um, you want to know what I didn't like about it? I, I would say it was a pretty good show personally, but you know what I didn't like about it? I you know doing doing the radio like I do. I like to let a topic marinate, and I know he doesn't have a ton of time, but I just felt like it was rushed. Like I I feel like if you got a big catalog like that. You got to do a do the world a favor and whittle it down a little bit more and give us a little more substance on each song. I felt like I was in some kind of Usher car wash. Like it was so fast, it was just something <laughs> different every second. 
Yeah, one of the things to me, I thought Beyonce maybe did the best job of doing a medley of her music and her halftime show, I guess about 10 years ago. And with Usher, like, yes, there were a couple of really big hits that we didn't get to hear. So I understand that being a disappointment for some people. And then there were so many features, maybe too many features. But the way it came together at the end, I thought when you look at the dancing that he brings to the table, the spectacle of it all, I understand you're looking at music, you're looking at quality, but the thing with this is it showed up on the stage for the spectacle and the level of entertainment that you would hope for, expect. It brought out the emotion, whether it was love or hate or anywhere in between. It brought it out that really felt in line with an overtime football game. This is a really good bit of entertainment to me. So, yeah, I understand with so many features, you know, would have loved to see Justin Bieber come out, but Apparently he declined, but the thing to me was it kind of felt like you got into a time machine, and I thought they did a good job capturing that era. Okay, so final thing on it, because uh, you sound like you've done some extensive research. Um, I, I don't remember, like when I was a kid, I don't really remember there being Super Bowl halftime shows. Um, how long has this been going on? Like how far back did your research go? Yeah, biggest thing to me was starting with Michael Jackson around that 1995 area because there were a number of halftime shows that were used as like Disney promos and, you know, for example, the Indiana Jones one and some of this stuff, it was just not good work. So really, once we crossed into the 2000s, that's to me where it started getting real. We had the kind of phase of the old rockers and then eventually tried to turn into pop with Black Eyed Peas and then eventually right around the Bruno Mars, Beyonce uh, era of halftime okay. shows i think we started to hit more of a golden age so that to me is it, we're in kind of the best era we've had i think all right luke so again tell our listeners he's on twitter at luke winstall how old are you luke <laughs> yeah yeah i'm 23 so a lot of this research has been done on youtube <laughs> the golden and we are in folks the according to luke 23 year old the golden right. era of yep. halftime shows so be yep, ready. I'll stand on that. You tweet at me. I've had a lot of people tweet at me this week now about this. Uh, a lot of disagreement, and yeah. I will stand on it, Martin. No, no, listen. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I Like I said, when I was your age, I, I hardly even remember the halftime shows. And when I was a kid, I definitely don't really remember it. The biggest thing when, when I was a kid with the Super Bowl was the Bud Bowl. Bud Bowl one, where it was Bud Light versus Budweiser, and you had these bottles, and throughout the entire game – there was commercials and you were getting like an update on the score of this fictitious game that was taking place. Mm, yeah, no, I'm not too familiar with that. Okay. So That's there, cool. there's your homework assignment for next week. All right. Final thing on the Super Bowl: uh, was or wasn't the pimento cheese a hit? Oh, big hit, big hit, Martin. <laughs> you know, it's all about one of the things I do differently. I don't know if this is a secret ingredient. I don't mind telling it. I get the Slappy Mama Creole seasoning, and I use that really more instead of salt and pepper, and I just go Creole with it, and that to me is just kind of puts it over the top. It's a little unique bit of kick that people aren't used to. So, yeah, you know, it, it's been a hit for a while, but this year I like, all right, this is a bigger party than I've had before, so it's a big one. There he goes. Follow him on Twitter, at Luke Winstall. All right, Luke, so you mentioned a lot of recruiting coverage and obviously some coverage Coming up this weekend as well for us over on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Uh, specifically, we got the uh, Under Armour next 
stuff going on in Atlanta. They just had uh, their event last weekend, I believe, down in Orlando, and this is like a series that goes pretty much across the country. I mean, you know, they're not hitting, uh, I don't know, they're not hitting like South Dakota, but if it's a big town regionally, there are people, you know, there are players that are showing up and, and getting a chance to show out. And some of those targets, like Zaire Addison, one of Clemson's targets on the offensive line, was named uh, one of the MVPs of the O-line at the Orlando event. But give us some insight. What are we looking at this weekend, uh, kind of in your neck of the woods in Atlanta? Yeah, the big kind of why do we care here thing is, okay, we've got all these big players coming out to events. We've got four guys that actively have a Clemson offer that will be here. Why are they going? If you play in this game, you have a chance to earn a jersey from Under Armour, and that would get you into the game. So that would be the uh, All-American game that they have, Under Armour All-America. And all the players want to be in it. You know, legendary, the history of it, what it's been able to produce and what guys have done after that. Also, you know, it's a really fun week for the guys and a lot of free gear, too. So I totally understand why they want to be there. So brings out the top players in the country. And they go out. The region that we've got this week in Atlanta is going to be Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Georgia. Florida's got their own camps. The Carolinas have their own camp coming up in May in Charlotte. So we're looking at those four states. And, you know, Clemson's not recruiting Tennessee or Mississippi very heavily at all. Uh, The only target in those two states for Clemson right now is Chauncey Gooden, who will not be there. But then Alabama, there's about three guys from that state that – Clemson's been after, not a whole lot of presence there. So what we're looking at right now is the top guys that Clemson's recruiting in Georgia, Jaden Harmon, who Clemson's considered the leader for, according to our recent reporting. And he'll be in attendance. He's a linebacker target, a big deal. Then you've got Isaiah Gibson that is looking like a bit of a Georgia-Clemson battle. We'll see if someone else can stand out, and we'll take a look at where we feel after what we feel after this weekend. Then there's Chase Taylor. There's He's a linebacker from Stockbridge. Shamar Arnault, that's a former Tennessee commit that seems to be a Georgia lean, but we'll check in with him just in case. And a few other guys that we're after you know, for updates. So that's what we're looking at. It's a big week in recruiting because all the media will be there. So you're going to hear all kinds of stories that come out of this and people saying things or maybe new crystal balls that come out after conversations this weekend. So it's a it's a big one in the calendar, Lawton. Yeah, no doubt. And, and look, I think it's one of those things that also sort of, I guess you'd say, kind of signifies how football has almost become for a lot of these kids uh, a year-round sport. And I know we we you know, we look at versatility with players all the time, and guys who do multiple sports is something that you know I know coaches and staffs all over the country look for. But the reality is that now with all this, you know, all these different camp series and seven on seven and this, that, and the other, man, it really does become something where they are year-round playing the sport. It's one thing that I don't totally love about it, really, is we're not giving guys much of an off-season because then there's also these trainers, and a lot of which we have good relationships with. So nothing against them, but you look at you're playing, then when you're done playing, you're going to showcases and camps, then you're with a trainer. Then you're doing stuff in the summer with going to college camps and you've got your high school team camps. And then you go back to your trainer during the dead period. And then you'll play the season again in the fall. And to me, it's like we've gotten to the point where it is year round. It maybe shouldn't be. There should be breaks. And there are breaks that are built in, but a lot of guys don't take advantage of them. And it's something that 
we hear a lot of big coaches like multi-sport athletes and in response to what we're talking about with the calendar there's been a lot of coaches at the college level and high school level that are pushing their guys like hey if you're not going to play basketball or if you're not going to do this or that yeah at least you track and that's become a big thing so we're seeing a good number of track times increase get better guys learning how to run early which is good helps with speed helps with recruiting but that's a bit of the response we've seen on each side of the each side of the aisle there. Well, and and Luke, one of the other things that I've talked about this week, obviously, with the situations we've seen around the country, uh, some people might equate Nick Saban's retirement to this, but I, I don't know if we can definitively say that. But when you look at, say, a, a guy like Chip Kelly leaving a head coaching position at UCLA to become an offensive coordinator at Ohio State, and and you know that's one example. But you have coaches like Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College to become a defensive coordinator in the NFL. Like, is the luster gone from being a college football head coach, maybe at a Power 5 program right now, because of all the instability of rosters and NIL and the transfer portal? I'm not saying that we're going to see like a mass exodus of coaches, but do you kind of get that vibe when you look at the sport right now that coaches are tired of what they're having to deal with? There's even things you look at with Sean Elliott from Georgia State now Good coaching point. at South Carolina and not even taking a coordinator spot there. It was just a kind of a run game spot. And to me, I look at things like that. Georgia State always was going to be that school, though, that as soon as you have a good player, it's going to get uh, pretty crazy with people trying to get him to portal out. So I understand why Elliott would think that's a, a tough job and maybe maybe a tough one to be in. But when I look at coaching in college, I think a lot of these guys are workaholics anyways, and they were already working a bunch. And I know it's different. It's extra. The thing to me that's different is what kind of coach are you? Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. Of Are you the coach that really wants to be hands-on and coach your players? Because in some cases, for those coaches, you shouldn't take a head coaching job because you won't get to do what you're there to do. But if you're a coach that can operate as a GM – and do these kinds of things and be the CEO and you like that level of control and the ability you have now with roster turnover to, as Nick Saban used to say, you only get one first-round pick in the NFL, but if you out-recruit people, you can have as many first-round picks as you want in college football. So if you're one of those coaches and you operate that way and you're willing to go crazy in talent acquisition, then that's great. But if you're not like that, it's not the time in college football to take a head coaching job. So I think what we are seeing is not maybe coaches in general stepping away, but it's a certain type of coaches that say, you know, maybe I shouldn't take this position or maybe I'll take a position elsewhere where they're not really leaving the sport, but they just know that the position they're in is not going to be conducive to their strength or what they really love or why they actually got into coaching. Right. No, that makes a ton of sense. And again, we're hanging out with Luke Wentz, so you can follow him on Twitter at Luke Winstall. And, and so, Luke, as we begin to kind of turn our attention a little bit towards Clemson and, and spring football and, and all of that, the visits, the visiting windows will be opening up and, and guys will be able to come back and, and get on campus. Who are some of those names that, you know, if you're a Tiger fan out there, that you would be really intrigued to kind of see, you know, come on to campus as Clemson uh, gets another opportunity to to showcase their program uh, in a little under a month. Right. Well, the big one, we just heard this, Martin. Kay Harris, 
the cornerback four star out of Cedartown in Georgia just texted us and told us that he will be there on May 31st in Death Valley. That's something that we look at as okay. Post spring game visit, you know, spring game visit list is going to be a big deal as always. It wasn't really a loaded group last year. We'll be interested to see if that changes this year. The junior day so far has been the big recruiting event. So guys are looking elsewhere just to check their options. But Tay Harris will be a big one. That's an exciting player that you want to come into town. You'd like to get Jaden Harmon at the linebacker spot back in town if you can, if you're Clemson. So that's one we'll be monitoring to see if he plans a trip back. Guys like Christian Garrett, who just named Clemson into the top seven of his recruitment. That's one that I say, okay, he's pared it down. Clemson's involved. Coach Eason is the reason that Clemson's so high up. And we're talking to Christian actually right uh, later today to get some things ironed out with where Clemson stands with him. But Georgia season is the hometown kid. They've started pushing for him. Seems like he would be a take in their class. So that's the main competition. And I'm curious to see when does he plan to come back on, on campus for Clemson and also you know, as his official visit schedule starts to shape up, that's another recruitment that I'm really keyed in on. So those are a few guys to watch out for down the stretch here. It's, things are developing. They're starting to head towards a commitment. Yeah. And we hear so much about some of these players, it's hard to know what to think. So right now we're in the process of, with Under Armour Camp and with anything we can do to get in front of these guys, just kind of ironing out, ironing out exactly where they stand with the program. Luke, if I had to give you, by the way, follow him again on Twitter, at Luke Winstall, and uh, we'll get you out here after this one. Uh, if you had to label maybe your level of concern with Clemson's quarterback room heading into this season, just uh, because of the scenario where they you know, didn't have anybody coming in this class that's going to be you know, able to contribute in that regard. You've got Paul Tyson, who's going to be kind of in a player-coach role. So, I mean, it, it really feels like it's either, hey, Cade Klubnick's got to take – you know, big strides, or you know, Christopher Vazina uh, is ultimately going to get more snaps than maybe people would like at this point. So, kind of, where are you right now with your comfort level around Clemson's quarterback room? I'll go. Let's see. We'll put it on a grade here. I'm going to go C plus right now. I don't feel great about it. It's not a failure. It's okay. I think what we've seen. From Klubnik last year was still not what I was hoping for. He was good, but it wasn't good enough. And that's something that, yes, he did improve down the stretch, but I am not pleased with the depth of the position. That's something where, you know, let's go on the flip side, right? If Klubnik does have a good year, and let's say it's good enough to where he gets pulled away by the NFL draft, then you're looking at Vizina and who knows how many snaps he would get this year and how that would go. And I know it's hard to recruit quarterbacks ahead of time, but other schools are doing it. And to me, if you're Clemson, if you're going to hold yourself to the best is the standard, I think you've got to have at least one other big scholarship quarterback in the room. So part of the reason I'm not going B here is because of depth. All it takes is Cade Klubnik with an injury or a stretch of inconsistency where all of a sudden you feel like you have to try the backup or Cade plays good enough and gets drafted. And then the future at that position is a bit spotty. And you're looking at, okay, Clemson, you haven't portaled yet, but now you kind of have to. So to me, depth is the reason it's not a B. I'm okay with Club Make at quarterback. I think he's all right. 
Um, he's not obviously the level that to me will win a championship at Clemson, but someone that can definitely win you 10 games, get you to a bowl game. I think there's more of a ceiling on Klubnik than we thought. And that's something that I'm hoping that take ages badly. Obviously we love to watch Clemson with a good quarterback, but that's just the way that I see it right now. I think there's a bit of a ceiling on him. The the X factor, the ability to move the ball down the field when you need it most is something I do question. So I would sit him at a B, but the quarterback room as a whole, I'm going to go C+. Again, on Twitter, at Luke Wentz. So, Luke, buddy, always appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, Lawton. Have a good one. Looking forward to that coverage from the Under Armour Next Tour over in Atlanta. Check it out on our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Quick break. Stay with us. Happy Friday, man. It's got a nice, cool feel in the air. Kind of, it feels a little, watching this Clemson baseball game, uh, it feels a little bit like fall, honestly. Uh, the Tigers get seven runs in the bottom of the first inning. Uh, looked a little squirrely early with Xavier loading the bases and getting two. Uh, the pitch clock's been a weird adjustment for me, watching that thing tick away in the bottom uh, left corner of the screen, at least at Clemson Stadium. That's, way, that's where they've got it in the field of view while the pitcher's pitching. I'm assuming most stadiums will look something like that. Uh, but, yeah, for Clemson, um, man, shaky start. The offensive assault, though, that took place in the second inning, or excuse me, in the, in the uh, bottom half of the first inning, good gracious. So uh, we'll continue to keep you updated uh, on that game as we can. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to – has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Throughout uh, the remainder of the program, uh, that was Luke Winstall. He's on Twitter at Luke Winstall. Great stuff. And we've expanded uh, our interns, as I mentioned, and we'll have some people over at uh, the Under Armour next um, series tomorrow in Atlanta. Uh, speaking of Atlanta, Luke brought this up. Georgia State head coach Sean Elliott, the former South Carolina head coach. Remember, he had a little stint there as, I guess, the intern head coach, the interim head to, head coach, um, has agreed to return to South Carolina as the tight ends coach and run game coordinator. He said, quote, this was not a professional move, but a personal move. We've made it work for seven years with my family still living in Columbia. And even I even thought about not coaching this year. I promised my daughter that I would be there for a senior year of high school. And when this opportunity came up to go back to South Carolina and coach again, it was something I couldn't pass up. I've always loved South Carolina. So hard not to like Sean Elliott, uh, given you know his story given you know his connections to South Carolina and the fact that his family never left the area while he continued to coach in Atlanta uh, is pretty incredible, quite frankly. Um, I had no idea that his family was still here until this story came out. I don't, I don't you know keep up with Sean Elliott 
and uh, you know what he's going to do. But when Steve Spurrier stepped away, it was Elliott who was elevated uh, into the role of being South Carolina's head coach. And there were some people who maybe thought with some of the, the positives that they saw from his stint, even though they went one and five, there was just this collective feeling that, hey, this guy kind of fits, right? That there were some people out there that thought maybe maybe he should get a shot at the job. Instead, that shot went to Will Muschamp. I proceeded to tell you on the air that that was a terrible move, that that was not going to be more successful. I mean, that was always a math formula, folks. I'm no Einsteiner, but I can figure that one out. I said, and this was how the equation works, and it will always work like this, okay? I'm, I'm telling you, you, you can bank on it 100% of the time. You take two programs, Florida and South Carolina, and you compare them. Who's had the better history? Florida. By a wide margin. You take Florida and you say, who's been their best coach ever? Some people might say Urban Meyer. Most people would say Steve Spurrier. And even if it is Urban Meyer, it doesn't diminish this argument. Who's South Carolina's greatest head coach? Steve Spurrier. Spurrier did not have the same level of success at South Carolina that he had at Florida. Now, he had a kind of a parallel level of success. And that's why he had the success. Do you know whose name you didn't mention, though, when I asked you who's the greatest head coach at Florida? You didn't think, well, Muschamp. You didn't think, oh, well, you know, Muschamp was a close third to Steve Spurrier. You didn't think, well, Muschamp might be number one above Meyer. You didn't think, well, Muschamp might be between Spurrier and Meyer because you knew Will Muschamp was below Spurrier. So guess what? When you hired Will Muschamp, you should have known, like I tried to tell you then, he was not going to be greater than Steve Spurrier. If your goal was to be greater than Steve Spurrier, that likely happens one of two ways. A, you risk it for the biscuit, and you promote a guy like Sean Elliott, and you kind of hope that the Dabo magic, if you will, that Clemson found, strikes in Williams-Brice. Or you go out and get somebody from outside the program who doesn't have like a comparable to what you've already had. You should have known, like, I, I don't know what the biggest blemish, and, and and maybe I'm wrong, but I think Ray Tanner is the guy that hired Will Muschamp. I, I don't know who the biggest blemish on Ray Tanner's resume, but that's got to be one. Evaluation there was terrible. There had to be some young college football coaches in 20 matter of fact you know what let's look back I got a minute 2015 2016 I'll try I'm gonna try to find it I don't know I did find I did find this real quick though this article by Barrett Salee who was writing for the Bleacher, Bleacher Report at the time 
South Carolina's risky hire of Will Muschamp has little chance to pay off. How about that? Quote, there was never a doubt that Will Muschamp would eventually get another chance as a head coach in college football after the four-year debacle in Gainesville. When he went 28-21, 17-5 from 2011-2014, that chance shouldn't come in the SEC, shouldn't come in 2016, it shouldn't come after he coordinated an average-at-best defense at Auburn in 2015. Yet, he's got his chance. South Carolina officially announced him as the head coach Sunday, replacing Steve Spurrier and interim head coach Sean Elliott. <laughs> I went further down in the article. There were tweets that said, why South Carolina? Why? Why? And then another, here's the final little, the little send-off from the story. Good luck with Muschamp, South Carolina. You're going to need it. Oof. All right, well, look, who, who else was available? I know Rich Rod was mentioned in the article, but who else? Stay with us. Rolling along the show that shakes the Southland. All right, so best thing I could find was, you know, who were other coaches hired that year? I, I will tell you at the end of the season, <laughs> Will Muschamp was rated as a uh, as a the twenty fourth best hire in a C plus. So not great. Um but I was looking in fairness, a lot of the other names didn't exactly pan out either. Uh, Clay Helton at Southern Cal. That didn't last. Scott Frost was hired at UCF that year. That worked out at UCF. Did not work out at Nebraska. Lovey Smith was hired by Illinois. That never really panned out. Kirby Smart was hired by Georgia. Um, I don't remember when Kirby Smart was hired by comparison to Will Muschamp. I know Smart was the Alabama defensive coordinator. Muschamp was the Auburn defensive coordinator. I'm assuming if Smart was hired after Muschamp, that would have certainly been a better hire. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall was at Virginia. Barry Odom was hired by Missouri. Um, Mike Norvell was hired at Memphis that year. Dino Babers was hired at Syracuse. Matt Campbell was hired at Iowa State. Mark Rick was hired at Miami. And uh, let's see, Justin Fuente, oof, that did not work out. Uh, he was hired at Virginia Tech. So Rodriguez's name was the one that was mentioned in that story. Um, and you do wonder, honestly, I do wonder, if Sean Elliott had been given that opportunity, man, don't you wish, this is when I wish revisionist history was a real, like I wish it was a real thing that we could simulate and look at and go, oh, wow, look at, Look at how that, you know, look how history changed if. Uh, there's a great series on Apple TV. I won't give you too much called For All Mankind. I may have brought that up the other day. That's a cool one, talking about kind of the what-ifs of the world uh, in terms of the space race. Go watch it. Uh, the other one that I like was a book by, and I, listen, when I say book, I mean audio book because I don't, I don't really have time to sit down and read like that. You know, if I'm going to listen to a, or if I'm going to read a book, I need to be able to do it while I'm driving. They they tend to not recommend that you read while you're driving. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody, like I know today, distracted driving, like people texting while driving. I don't recall growing up somebody having to tell me not to be reading Moby Dick while I'm driving down the road. But 
anyway, Ishmael, uh, I am I, I am pretty pretty aware that you know you're not going to be reading War and Peace while you're cruising down, you know, I eighty five. So if I want to listen to a book on tape, or if I want to read a book, I listen to the book on tape. That's the only way I can do it, and it gives me more time in my life. Because if I got to read every time I'm sitting down and doing nothing, do you know how often that is in my life? Rarely. Like, never. Can't own two businesses, work a full-time job, be a father, and all that, and go, well, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to sit down and read for about four hours. But on our next trip to Charleston, I can pop an ear pod in, or an air pod in my ear, and uh, I can jam out to a, you know, to a, uh, a book while I'm while I'm rolling, and if I need to pause it, I can. Anyway, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I wish... Oh, the the, the, the book I was going to tell you about. Uh, 11 It's about... It's a kind of a... It's a uh, sci-fi Stephen King... It's about the day JFK was assassinated. So that might be one that you might want to check out. And I, I'll tell you, I did the Audible account. I know there's some free ways to get books, like through the, the local library, Hoopla and, and Libby are two of those apps that you can get. But I did Audible for a little while. I think their prices went up. And and the other thing I think they got rid of, like you could roll over your tokens. So it didn't really bother me when, you know, at the end of a year I could have five or six tokens saved up but i think they went to the point where your tokens expire like if you didn't spend them on books well if there's nothing i want to read and so i quit i i i i opted out of that thing i've i've got probably 40 books to read i like i told you i've read a ton i read spurrier's book i read saban's book i've read so many uh, you know john wooden's book i've read robin williams i mean i, I love but i just finished like a 29 hour george washington Oh, that was that was a brutal one to get through, but I got through it. I made it. Like George Washington. I felt like George Washington. I felt like we were fighting the British and there was no chance that we were going to survive. But I made it through. I made it through. But yeah, I that's that's the way I take in books, quite frankly. It's the only way I can. And if I'll t- I'll tell you what, text me, 803-450-0086. Uh if you got a recommendation. If you've got a recommendation of a great book that your boy needs to read, that's a job. You know, how do you get that job? How do you get the job where you, you know, read a book on tape? Like that's that would be that would be a pretty sweet gig. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. 
You guys would tune in to hear me read a book on tape. Random House Books presents A Tale of Two Cities, read by Lawton Swan. There was a king with a large jaw and a queen with a plain face. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the, what are you going to do when you get off the radio, Swanee? I'm going to be an ebook reader. That's what I'm going to do. Then, then you guys will give me credit for actually reading the books. Because I sat down and read them aloud so that you could enjoy them while you were driving. That's the way this works. Well, I'll tell you what, the way it looks like it's going to work for Clemson this year, low power action as Cooper Blouser hit a solo shot in the bottom of the third to extend Clemson's lead to 8-2. to two. It was Clemson's second home run of the contest after the opening frames grand slam and for the tiger faithful in attendance it sure looks like you're going to get plenty of baseball uh, as the bats are alive final segment of the week next what have you done for me lately it's a fair question just don't lose sight of the bigger picture don't forget history lucky for us at clemson the answer to the questions, what have you done for me lately, and what have you done always, are the same. We win. Final segment on a Friday afternoon, Clemson Sports Talk Game. We'll have full coverage of the Tiger baseball team as the opening weekend gets underway uh, against Xavier. We've got NBA All-Star action coming up. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought about this. Um, when, when was this? Was this yesterday? You know, I, I said before, I think Clemson – Football has likely had the greatest player they'll ever have. And I'll let you debate. Is that Trevor Lawrence? Is that Deshaun Watson? I think one of those two guys is the greatest player ever. Maybe some of you might lean in on even, say, a, a, a Travis Etienne. But just because of you know he's the greatest running back in the history of the ACC, right? I mean, in terms of his numbers. I think it's probably, in my opinion, the Trevor Lawrence just slightly, slightly above Deshaun Watson. Now, if you said... Who do you want to have to drive the ball down to win a game? Eh, that might be big DW4. But anyway, softball, I've said, may have already had their greatest player. Like, Can you imagine Clemson softball having a player greater than Valerie Cagle? Pitching and batting, like to do the combo. You might get a better hitter. You might get a better pitcher. I don't know you'll ever get a better combo. She could be the top in terms of just the number one player in the history of that program. And so then it got me thinking. 
about the other sports on campus. Got me thinking about like women's basketball. Most people say Barbara Kennedy Dixon. Uh, Clemson's got a couple of McDonald's All-Americans recently. And and I think that the women's game has gotten so much better that even Barbara Kennedy Dixon, it, it, this is not like a Wilt Chamberlain conversation to me, like where it's like, oh, yeah, she could have played in any era. Forget that. I think Clemson women's basketball has yet to have their greatest player. I think that's a positive for your program. Um, I don't really know enough about the historical sense of Clemson soccer, men's and or women, to tell you, but I doubt either of them has had the greatest that they will have at this point. Women certainly has not, I don't believe. Men, possibly. Baseball, Chris Benson, maybe the greatest pitcher that you'll ever get. Has Clemson had their best baseball player yet in terms of a position player? I think it's something to wonder about. You could probably throw some names out there. But then that takes me to basketball. And obviously, coming up tomorrow night, big game for Clemson against NC State. And, you know, I've talked about how good I think P.J. Hall is, right? I said I thought P.J. Hall was one of the best big men in Clemson history. And I... I still believe that. Like, I still believe. And when you look at the skill of the game, the way the game has changed, yeah, I do believe that. But if I said to you, who's the greatest Clemson basketball player of all time? Some of you would say what? Like, Skip Wise? Some of you'd really dig in. Um, But it's not not Buckner or McIntyre or any of those guys. I don't think Clemson basketball's had their greatest player yet because I think the greatest player of you know Clemson basketball history is going to lead this team to places they've never gone. Does that mean that this team this year can't get to places they've never been? No. I I think they have the talent as I said out of the gates to win the ACC tournament. I think they could. But that wouldn't necessarily make anybody on the team in particular the greatest player in the program's history and the run to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. I don't think would solidify that necessarily either. But I do believe that you will know when you have the greatest player in your basketball program's history because I think they're going to jump off the page, literally and figuratively. I think they're going to be so elite that your mind's going to be blown. And I don't think we've ever had that. I don't think we've ever had that level of elite on Clemson's basketball team. Who is that player? When do they arrive? You know, I think when I like look at some of the, the great players that have come through programs over the years, uh, I think about like, and I know for, for Duke fans, they would never say that Jason, I guess he goes by Jay Williams now, but that, that that's the greatest player they had, right? They would probably all look at Leitner. Uh, and maybe that's what the guy will, will feel like when he, you know, lands at Clemson, like a Leitner kind of player. But, you know, I think it's going to be more of a Jay Williams. I think it's going to be a guard that can take over a game and can score 25, 30 points when you need him to. And Clemson's never had that. And until they have that, just a takeover the game type player. It would be like if you took what you saw from 
Chase Hunter in that matchup with Miami and made that his career. You know, the way he played in that last game made that his career. I go, man, that might be the greatest player I've ever seen. But I think Clemson basketball still got more out there in the future. So keep that in mind. Just text me. Like, who are the greatest players in those sports? I'd love to hear from you. All right, we got to get out of here. As always, y'all take care now. And go Tigers! Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.